Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has over 16 years of law enforcement analysis experience. She spent time with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, Florida Highway Patrol, and the University of Florida. She is a regular conference presenter, DDAX instructor, and a certified analyst. Oh, and she's also working on a PhD. She's known to some as an analyst with a gun. Please welcome Michelle Snow. Michelle, how are we doing? Good. Thank you for having me on the program. Yes, it's always nice to talk to a fellow Floridian. Glad to be here. <laughs> Man, you have a lot going on. I am excited to break this all down and talk about your contributions to the profession. But let's first talk about how you got started. How did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? So without aging myself, back in 2005, I was actually selected to be a gubernatorial fellow under Governor Jeb Bush. And he had this this program that he modeled after the White House fellows. And during that time, his brother was in office. And so I was selected one of 13 graduate students statewide, and I was assigned to the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles. And at the time I was working on my thesis, which ended up being adolescent brain development and teenage driving policy. And so I had a lot of time to work with the Florida Highway Patrol, which is a subdivision from the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles. And during the 2005-2006 hurricane season, being in Florida, that was one of the, the highest hurricane seasons that we've seen, Hurricane Katrina. And so I spent a lot of time at the Emergency Operations Center. And from there, I learned about operations. I learned about response to natural disasters. I learned about the role that the Florida Highway Patrol plays in EOC operations. And it was actually recognized several times by the governor for just participating and being active with EOC operations at the time of the hurricanes. So a little taste into law enforcement at that point. They had a BCII, which is an investigative analysis unit, but they didn't really have a proactive patrol operational side. So I was learning about both the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles and the Florida Highway Patrol concurrently while I was in the gubernatorial fellowship program. How did you then become an analyst with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement? So once my fellowship came to an end, it was a year-long program, and I completed my thesis and had some opportunities to study crash data through qualitative and quantitative data collection during that year. I had the opportunity to also get to know the Florida Department of Law Enforcement commissioners and assistant commissioners. And there was an opening as a government analyst. At, at the time, I thought it was more of a public policy or sort of legislative type position. And come to find out it was an investigative analysis role within the Office of Executive Investigations, working on both internal affairs cases and executive investigation cases. So I was there for about seven, eight months. But I did want to return home to Jacksonville, so I had the opportunity to apply for a position at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. You are part of that fellowship, studying crash data, studying just 
trends and patterns and coming up with best policies. And then you go into this position where it's more investigation. And so just kind of take us through that transition as you start working some investigations as an analyst. And that does seem disparate, but prior to my studies at the University of North Florida and the fellowship program, I was actually in the military and I was an officer with the United States Navy. I was both assigned as an engineering officer and a legal officer. So my last two years of service, I was assigned to NAS Jacksonville as the legal officer doing investigations, JAG man investigations or judge advocate general investigations on different everything from death to child abuse. So I did have that training, that military training on how to conduct military investigations that were not law enforcement or legal, but sort of in that, that nexus. And that's what allowed me to transition between the graduate school environment and the academic environment to employment as an investigative analyst with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. As you mentioned, you wanted to go home, so you go work for the the sheriff's office. So quickly compare and contrast to the FDLE position to what you were doing there at the sheriff's office. So the sheriff's office obviously covers multiple different analysis types of, of roles from in, intelligence and criminal investigative analysis to tactical, problem solving, operational, strategic, administrative. So I was fortunate to be able to work with and get hired by some people in the field that I consider mentors and people that I very much look up to. My immediate supervisor was Karma Rollerson, and then she reported to Jamie Roush, who then reported to Matt White. And so they gave me an opportunity. They took a chance on me, if you will. So I actually got hired in as a grant position. So I wasn't even a full-time employee with full-time benefits. And so I was able to work and prove myself as a grant analyst and took me about a year to then become a public safety analyst one, and then another two years to become a public safety analyst two. And I was able to work as a zone analyst. So working patrol, I had zone one, five, four, and six at one point. So that was all very tactical and, and operational in nature. And then I was assigned to the robbery unit and the sex crimes unit as an investigative analyst. And so I've had the opportunity to work some major cases, homicide, sex bat with robberies, business robbery cases, robbery in progress, prostitution, escort, vice, really a whole gamut of investigative type analysis, as well as some problem solving initiatives. We had the Police Executive Research Forum work with us and we had a project that was a think 90 day project. It was a problem solving initiative and it's been published and documented what the outcomes and the findings were, but basically we took 90 hotspots within the city of Jacksonville and 30 of them were sort of placebo hotspots, 30 of them were problem solving and 30 were as usual. So I was able to work as sort of a problem solving type analyst within those. I was assigned several hotspots to work. So it's really a gamut of experiences working at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, very high paced technology, using GIS, learning a little bit of SQL and Oracle at the time, and really just learning the technical skills, Excel, Crystal Reports a long time ago, <laughs> and it really, you just really jumped in. You really didn't 
there was not a lot of time to take your time to learn. You really just had to jump in and, and start learning as, as much as you could. And just living in the city of Jacksonville and working at the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office really changed my perspective of criminal justice and problem solving through non-criminal justice methodologies like community partnerships and, and seeking out other solutions. So once you became a public safety analyst, one, that's no longer considered a grant position, right? You were then Correct. within, when then, okay. I was sure hoping that all that time you weren't still a grant no, position. Sir. That's, uh, that's grant positions uh, can be okay if, if you're semi-retired and have benefits elsewhere, but that can be a little unnerving grant positions, uh, you know, early in your career. Correct. It just gave me some time to prove myself. So that's what I did. During this time, did you find that you liked doing the problem solving over the tactical or vice versa? At the time, I really enjoyed working the investigative analysis. So putting together cases, everything from timelines to mapping to trying to help them solve cases, patterns, series, and trends. But Specifically with robberies, at the time the city was definitely experiencing a high number of armed robberies and carjackings. So I, I ended up liking the investigative piece a little bit more and just even being behind the scenes and, and feeding information to a detective live as he was doing the interview that was fulfilling or being able to be part of cases that went all the way to fruition, that went all the way to prosecution, that was fulfilling as well. Yeah. So, and remind me, Jacksonville, is that a metro? It is. We have over, I think at this point, a million people that live here. Okay. So it's Northeast Florida, surrounded by Clay, Nassau, and St. John's counties, okay. bordering Georgia. Do you feel that Jacksonville has crime problems unique to that area, or it's given its size, you know, the same types of problems? violent crime and property crime? At the time of my employment, it was the highest murder mm -hmm. county. So to date, you know, we do have a shift of population. We're getting more and more folks moving to the city of Jacksonville. The newly elected sheriff was just on yesterday, as a matter of fact, talking about a 13-year-old homicide victim. And he was he was surrounded by the district attorney and other community partners talking about the violent crime in Jacksonville. So it is going up and they are recognizing it from a leadership perspective. Uh, at the same time, I believe the SAC, the special agent in charge, Mike Williams, was also on the news yesterday talking about some, some investigative work that the FDLE local regional operations center is doing in Jacksonville as well. So it, it's still going to be an area where we want to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. at the state level, for sure, mm -hmm. with violent crime and population. We had Jamie Roush on, so I I'm a, certainly know Jamie. But, you know, Jamie loaned you out during this time. And this brings us to one of your analyst badge stories. And for those that may be new to the show, the analyst badge story is the career-defining case or project that analyst works. And so it's around this time that you start become the lead analyst on a federal extortion case. Yes, Jamie allowed me to work with the FBI as their lead analyst. And at the time, it was an information report that came into the sex crimes unit. And I was reading every single information report, every 
sex battery, every child abuse case, every senior case. And this one just happens to come in. And I looked at it and sort of my gut instinct, just because I've been reading so many of these, said there's more to this particular information report. And so I, I followed up by speaking to one of the lead detectives in the sex crimes unit. And him and I both looked at this and, and we did a little bit more digging and he decided to go ahead and blast out an NCIC FCIC message and just to see if other states had been experiencing this particular case. It was kind of a quid pro quo sex for money or sex for whatever. So it became an extortion case. There were 13 states that reported cases similar. And I was able to do some mapping and some timelines of this particular person's whereabouts and everything from traffic citations to residential locations. And from there, worked with the FBI and with the U.S. Attorney's Office. And it was the first time the U.S., the local U.S. Attorney said that he'd ever seen GIS applied to sex crimes or any other type of case. So that, that was a very pivotal moment as well. And long story short, the, the suspect ended up pleading to 20 years and he was, I think, 65 or 68 years old at the time. So I, I definitely felt like I contributed to the, the case. I contributed to public safety at large by contributing to the analysis of the 13 different states worth of cases. And so he ended up playing for 20 years. Wow. So why was it important to use GIS to tell the story of what this person was doing? So being able to map his locations, everything from where he was cited for a traffic stop to where he was working and where he was living, it was, it was using the routine activity theory and just sort of workplace, work activity. We all sort of do things within a, a common space. And so I really wanted to showcase that he was in the area, he worked nearby, He had it, it, there was some intent, there was motivation. And to be able to use technology to help solve cases, it was, it was somewhat of being a maverick because technically and, and typically we would just rely on sort of our you know, our telephone or link analysis concepts or our timeline concepts in Visio or PowerPoint, or even sort of rudimentary putting things on an Excel spreadsheet. But I really wanted to showcase movement. And so just using different technical skills like spider mapping or just routes could put that that particular individual in the area of the crime. And so that's that's why I ended up using GIS. So he's extorting them. Was the defense saying that this was just a mutual agreed upon act? No, no it was a quick plea. Okay. Uh, he he would follow these women around and learn their patterns back to the routine activity theory concept. So he would he would learn their patterns. He would learn their children's patterns and he would basically threaten to kidnap or abduct their children if they would not call him and you know with illicit material or show illicit photographs or anything of that nature. So, you know, a lot of these mm. women were going to be single women with children. So, geez, that does that's scary stuff there. Hmm. So you eventually leave the sheriff's office and you start working with Florida Highway Patrol. So how did you get from the sheriff's office to Florida Highway Patrol? So I, I took a couple of years off to with my daughter and and I did notice a job opening 
And I applied and I was able to, I got hired for the position and it was local in Jacksonville. And within about two years, the local troop commander ends up getting promoted to the colonel for the Florida Highway Patrol. And he allowed me to maintain my, my office location in Jacksonville and allowed me to remotely manage the team. So I had analysts all over the state. I had analysts down in Miami, Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville, and Tallahassee, and the Panhandle. So I had I was able to remotely manage to field visits and, and getting to know their local command staff and the troops. And I was very fortunate to build that trust and that integrity piece with the colonel. And I think that contributed to him allowing me to stay in Jacksonville. Wow. Are you driving from Jacksonville to Tallahassee? I was. I was commuting once or twice a week for various sort of state level meetings, either with the Department of Transportation or even locally within the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles. So it, it came full circle from the gubernatorial fellowship five, six years prior to. And then I find myself back in that same building meeting with a lot of the same players. And so, yes, I did have as the senior manager management analyst supervisor or business analyst supervisor sort of flipped around. I did have responsibilities that included command staff level meetings in Tallahassee. So I, I commuted. I was hoping you didn't have to like commute to Miami. I did that too. And I did commute to Tampa and Orlando and we held training for the team either in the southern part of the state or the northern part of the state. And I did field visits and training, very much mentoring the team individually in some cases and group in other cases. And and yes, I, I commute all over the state of Florida. So I, I covered a lot of miles. Oh man. What's that drive like from Jacksonville to Miami? It's not terrible. It's about five and a half, six hours. So it's, okay. it's not terrible. They, okay. I actually did end up getting a state car. So I was able to not necessarily put the miles on my own personal vehicle. I did see a lot of roadway and considering the Florida Highway Patrol works on the roadway, that was actually beneficial when studying crash data to understand the roadways and the the turnpike and the issues going through I-4 in Orlando. And so it was actually a, a field study, if you will. And how did you like the transition from being an analyst to being an analyst supervisor? So I actually was not hired to be the analyst supervisor. I got promoted. Um, mm -hmm. I was hired as just the business analyst. And then I before I got the promotion, I got a 10% performance, a superior performance raise, which is unheard of for a non-sworn. <laughs> and I had to go all the way to the executive director for approval. And then nice. about a year later, I get promoted or so by the colonel. So I didn't start off. So it was a definitely a learning mm -hmm. moment to go from colleague to supervisor of the unit. It was definitely a learning moment. Yeah, I've talked to a couple other analysts who, who have done the same thing, and there is something strangely odd in the analytical world when you go from coworker to supervisor for that transition within the same team. And there's a lot of advantages to promoting within, but there is a change in dynamic between, you know, going from coworker to now I am your supervisor. Very true. And at the time when I was hired, there were only a handful of us analysts. And so when I did get promoted, I was able to actually hire a, a good number of the team. So these were not necessarily all coworkers. And then one of the coworkers got promoted to lead analyst. So she also got a, a bump. 
but I was able to design the hiring process because this was all new. This was all new to the Florida Highway Patrol. So I designed a sort of quantitative piece to measure. And then of course the interview questions and we were able to travel basically. So if I, I needed to hire a Tampa analyst, I, I put the advertisement out locally and into all the different areas that I know of, whether that be through IAC or FCIAA and to the local universities. And we were able to hold interviews down in Tampa with templates that basically I designed to sort of showcase, you know, can they, can, do they understand what it's like to be an analyst? And also can they to exhibit some of the technical skills? So I had some Excel, GIS, Tableau, and SQL component to the interview. Okay. So it wasn't all coworkers. It was, it was definitely a chance to build a unit. Okay. And you, and you founded those tests, if you will, when you are testing their skills of GIS and Excel, that that was worthwhile as opposed to, you know, classically, it's usually just, a, you know, maybe a three panel interview. It was still a three panel interview, three to five, really, because I had to use the local troop commander because of the nature of being a remote unit. So they mm -hmm. were they were going to be reporting to me directly, but working in whatever troop area that they were supporting. And, and this could be, you know, six hours down south from me. So I would have the troop commander in there, local troop commander. I would have my boss, who was a major at the time, uh, myself, and maybe the lead analyst. It depends. So the four of us would go in there and I had a 40-60 split. So I had a 40 oral interview and a 60% work interview. And the work piece would be split between some some skill set i didn't want it to be heavily in one thing or heavily the other so i sort of split it and and assigned points to different skill sets and it wasn't all like an all or nothing it was can you can you think through some processes left the internet open for them to use and 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 some of it was timed so sort of trying to recreate real life scenario how do they think how do they think under pressure a little time constraint could they get me from point A to point B? What were the steps that they were thinking? And it really got me to see what, how people think. And, and I thought that that was definitely a worthwhile venture. All right. So how many folks approximately have you, did you end up hiring with this process? I think almost all, like five or six out of the five or six, mm -hmm. because we did have some turnover, not necessarily because of me, just because it, they were moving on to new jobs. So I think I ended up hiring the Jacksonville analyst, the Tampa analyst, and we started out as a good, definitely a good rate of pay, but some of them went to private sector and, you know, as a state <laughs> agency, that's hard that's to compete with private sector money. Yep. So ended up hiring Orlando, Pensacola, and then the lead analyst. So five of them. Hi, my name is Nick Lutens. I'm a crime analyst, and I'm here to tell you that nobody deserves to be a victim, but lock your doors and put your stuff where people can't see it. Thank you. Hi, this is Don Clausius. I just want you to know that when you hear or you think as an analyst, they don't know what they want us to do. Always remember, you don't have to wait. Show them, tell them, and be value added. You mentioned the promotion and what are some of the other things that uh, you were able to accomplish during your time here with the Highway Patrol? So somehow in the middle of, of all that, I ended up attending the Law Enforcement Academy as well. And so I became an auxiliary trooper 
And I felt that that gave me an advantage to understanding the operational piece of law enforcement. I would put on the uniform, I was issued a, a, a weapon and you know, I had to go through all of the exact same training that a trooper would go through and firearms, high, high liability. So that gave me a little bit of an edge just to understand what was happening. But there were a couple of things that definitely stood out. I was really pivotal in the Arrive Alive project. And the Arrive Alive project uses DDAC's methodologies to look at and reduce traffic crashes, a serious bodily injury and, and fatal crashes. And so that was partnering and collaborating with the Department of Transportation, with the Florida Sheriff's Association, with the Florida Police Chiefs Association, generating interest across the entire state. So it was really spearheaded in 2017. And so the goal was to come up with some sort of generic hotspots by county, all 67 counties, and start breaking them down and then partnering with the local agencies to break down their fatal and SBI crash data even more so. So it was almost like little microcosms and regions of hotspot analysis all throughout the state. Ended up doing several presentations. One was to the Florida Sheriff's Association. It's about 300 people in there. And they gave me about three days notice for said presentation. And I remember it distinctly. I thought I was going to be doing a presentation just locally to our local troop commander and his folks out in the Orlando area. To my surprise, I was actually presenting at the Hilton Bonnet Creek to over 300 law enforcement folks from all the entire southern region. And really, I Two of the chiefs took 30 minutes and I took the, the remaining 30 minutes to describe the Arrive Alive project and DDACs in general and how we were going to establish a portal so the local agencies can document their work and their time spent in each of these areas. We had a certain number of areas identified and really used the methodology of 15 minutes within a hotspot to help reduce and, and address traffic crash and, and traffic safety. And so we designed a portal and the local police officers and police departments and the sheriff's offices would enter their own data within this portal that was being managed by the Florida Highway Patrol. And we would monitor the time spent and the reduction of, of traffic crashes within these area hotspots. So this was a, a statewide initiative partnered with the Department of Transportation as well and the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles. So that was back in 2017. But even to this day, you, you do see marketing and branding of the arrival Alive throughout the state, whether that be on a billboard or a commercial or even license plates of each of the FHP vehicles. And that's just a reminder to arrive alive to your destination, whether that be a texting scenario, speed, not drinking and driving. But that was a major, major part that the team played in developing hotspots using both GIS and Tableau to derive data and, and analyze data. Oh, it's interesting. I've seen presentations at conferences on DDACs, and some of the focus will be how DDACs influences violent crime. Right. And, and it does seem like maybe the whole idea of crashes prevention is an afterthought. But it seems here with what you were working on, it almost seems like it's the focus. It was the focus as well as it was some marketing and selling to the sheriff's offices and the police departments because their focus is on the violent crime piece. And mm -hmm. so using using thoughts that at the end of the day, bad guys travel 
and that if you're in certain areas, there's a correlation between violent crime and that you can actually deter both by community engagement and by presence within those areas. So there was, it wasn't just sort of a top-down project led by FHP and DHSMV. It was really a collaboration and, and teaching these other agencies all over the state that DDACs and, and addressing traffic crash safety, whether that be through the proactive piece of, of enforcement or engagement or the reactive piece of the crash itself could indeed inf- affect crime rates. And is this where you started using Tableau? Okay, I so, Tableau. So Tableau, for those that may not know, is a dashboard tool. So how did Tableau play into this? So luckily, the agency actually spent some money teaching the group Tableau 1 and Tableau 2 desktop. And we were able to learn how to connect Tableau directly to SQL and write some queries. And we use it as a multivariate analysis tool. So it definitely strengthens how you look at, at the data. You can study multiple, multiple data elements at the same time. And then we offset the use of Tableau with GIS. So we use the, the mapping strengths be, behind Esri to actually create the hotspots and the frequency maps and, and pull data on specific roadway corridors. And then we would take that data, export that out of GIS and import it into Tableau and do the multivariate analysis piece, whether it be time of day, day of week or crash severity type location, whatever multiple tools we wanted to study to give them more depth and richness of the data itself. So we did use the GIS was was somewhat of a first step because we wanted to do the location piece first. And then we, we took it out of GIS and exported it out of GIS, imported back into Tableau. And we were able to very much create some, some richness and some depth and some understanding to guide multiple agencies of where they were gonna be and what they were gonna be looking for and then from there, we created a number of dashboards just internally for DUI, tra- other pieces of traffic enforcement, speed, staffing. I mean, it really sky's the limit on Tableau, sky's yeah. the limit. So it's really any any data set. I, I end up putting information about fleet and property to staffing pieces to the law enforcement piece. And, and it's it's a very strong tool to use. Yeah. So no, I use Tableau currently where I work and it's very quickly to go from SQL to dashboard and it's Correct. a lot of easy plug and play and whatnot. And so I, I do like that power of it. And I think I mentioned to you when we were talking about this is it does a lot of things well, but then eventually there's always something there that man, it, it doesn't do and you kind of have to hack around it a little bit. And I've almost had to do that, it seems like, on every project that I've had to use Tableau on. But it seems like here, you said you used it internally. So who were the who were the users of the dashboard? So everybody from the executive leadership team to command staff for the Florida Highway Patrol. So they're able to create dashboards that have certain access levels, and they're able to go on to whether we put it on a SharePoint site or whatever, and they're able to go in there and look at their specific troop areas for data. Mm-hmm. So, and then the analysts, of course. So, but, you know, Tableau can be used in any, it could be used openly. You know, you can do sort of public type of dashboards and, and then you can lock it down and 
more of the data governance piece and have that just primarily for internal use. So we, we definitely use Tableau for almost everything, <laughs> commercial motor vehicle enforcement. At the Florida Highway Patrol, we were actually a central collection for multiple states spanning from Texas to the Carolinas, upwards to Virginia of commercial motor vehicle data as well. And so for some of these initiatives, we would analyze multiple states worth of data and show where commercial motor vehicle crashes were occurring, where they were working, what interstates they were working. And so we put together dashboards for other states use as well as part of these initiatives. Yeah. Now you're dealing with a lot of data. So did you have to regulate some of the data coming in and out of GIS and Tableau? So when I was thinking about my the team at the Florida Highway Patrol and thinking about what, what missing person or missing element I I very strongly needed a data person. And so that relationship I had with the colonel, I ended up drawing some processes and, and some missing links. And I said, look, I really need, I need a data person. I need a data person that's going to be able to help uh, do more extensive querying because, you know, as an analyst, we don't have every technical skill set. I would consider myself a, a Schmedium level SQL query. <laughs> <laughs> but not a DBA. I'm not a DBA. I'm not an IT type person. Yeah. So I ended up being able to hire somebody from the IT side of the house into our unit. And so between him and other partners, we were able to develop some SQL statements. And some of them, he had one that was over 60 pages long. So wow. you know, there was no way anybody on our team <laughs> was, could be able to to write a SQL statement to that level and that depth. But yes, the, the process of QA and QCing the data is definitely important. The data integrity piece was important. Really understanding the data flow from the initial contact at the dispatch to all the way to the conclusion of the case was all sort of process, processed out into process maps. So that's kind of where I start. I really started looking into the FHP data, was really looking at the schema of the data, just to make sure that we were we were pulling data accurately and that we were pulling it from the right source, that we were pulling it as operationally sound and as, as aligned with policies as we can be. And that was a process. That was definitely a process. Yeah. So you're dealing with statewide data entry. So that that can be difficult to get everybody on the same page. And luckily, the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles has an Office of Performance Management where they have a team that has developed algorithms and they actually are in charge of statewide level data accuracy, completeness, and timeliness for all crash submissions from every law enforcement agency. So to have FHP as part of the FLHSMB is a good thing to be able to have that other team of, of experts in designing these algorithms. So any any crash report that comes into DHSMB will get assessed. And if it's if it doesn't meet whatever algorithms, it will get resubmitted to the reporting agency. So that process is already in place. So it was a little less worse for us on the business analyst side of the house at FHP to worry about vetting the data because that was actually already part of the process. So what was the overall impact of this project? So I think the, the awareness of the impact of, of traffic crash data is probably the most rewarding that, that we got at, from our side of the house because crash analysis is somewhat overlooked by sheriff's offices and PDs because they do have bigger fish to fry. 
They have, you know, fentanyl cases that are skyrocketing. They have violent crime data that's skyrocketing. So at the time when I was at the Florida Highway Patrol, just being able to have those conversations and to sort of change perspectives and just enlighten the SOs and the PDs with the relevances of traffic crash data and, and studying and being able to redirect staffing to certain areas and the overlay between incident data and crash data and traffic citation data, that's not always thought about. Agencies statewide don't always have a robust team of either GIS users or Tableau users. So we, we made a lot of impact with the smaller agencies as well because we ended up doing some of their work for them. They didn't have the resources. So there was a lot of partnering. And I think that was the, the biggest impact that that particular project had. I don't know how it's morphed since I left FHP. So I'm not sure at, at this point if, if the project is still ongoing. But during the time, I mean, we were having statewide meetings with multiple agencies, the Florida Sheriff's Association and the Police Chiefs Association. And I think to that end, that was where that becomes a success. Hmm. Did you see a reduction in the number of crashes? We were at the time when mm -hmm. we were measuring, but long longitudinally, I, I'm not sure because I wasn't there after yeah. you know a year or so. For somebody that's looking to implement DDACs, what advice would you have for them? Well, we do train on start somewhere. So you can always start, just start somewhere. The sort of three data sets that we look at is the traffic crash data, the traffic citation data, and the incident data. And putting those data sets on, on a map, you can partner with your local university or your local county folks, GIS department, to help you establish that. So currently, I actually have a, a contract with the Texas Department of Transportation, and we are helping agencies learn how to implement DDACs. And they're from all different levels. They're, some of them are starting with very elementary, rudimentary type infrastructure, and some of them already have a robust infrastructure. So you really have to analyze where you're at in the, in the sort of spectrum of data analysis and, and the feedback process and start looking at your data. And really when you start mapping your data and, and studying your data, you can see where some of the weaknesses are and need for QAQC. So I was working with an agency in Texas and, and Latin longs were getting dropped off. We really pushed through the traffic unit. Hey, we need to validate these, these addresses. We can't study DDACs and, and start trying to map traffic crash data without the Latin long. So really, if you start somewhere, you'll, you'll figure out where you are in the spectrum, and then you will be able to start addressing and assessing where you need to go. I do want to get on to the University of Florida, but before we do, we have to touch on your second analyst badge story. It's an event that occurred while you were coming back from Tallahassee to Jacksonville. So typically those days would start at 5 a.m. with me leaving from Jacksonville back to, to Tallahassee. And so I would work a complete day. And so I was getting on I-10 off of, I believe it was Mahan in Tallahassee at about 5.15, 5.30. And I just got on the interstate and I witnessed a single commercial motor vehicle rollover. And sort of instinctually, it was going westbound and I was traveling eastbound. I slide into the median and I'm in full business heels and everything. And I slide into the median. I run across I-10. I start to perform CPR on the ejected passenger. He was bleeding. He was in shock. He was definitely out of it. He was alive. 
he was alive. So it was more like controlling the bleeding. And I called 911 to describe the scene. And luckily I knew the dispatch codes and I, I knew how what information they were gonna need because at that point I had already been on the auxiliary unit for a couple years at that point. So I was very familiar with radio uh, traffic, dispatch codes, what was important. And so I sort of spit it out what the scene, describing the scene. And I'm there for, it felt like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, doing CPR, well, really triage, he was still breathing. So it wasn't quite breathing at that at that point. And so the first trooper comes to the scene, it felt like an eternity, and he was a commercial motor vehicle trooper. And so he was not concerned necessarily with me and the victim lying on the ground. He was concerned with the hazardous material that was potentially oozing out of the truck. I could just hear like sort of a gas sound. And so he was definitely concerned with that. We we're talking rush hour traffic through Tallahassee at this point. And so eventually I call my my immediate supervisor because I knew that at the time he had his cat up and and I said, hey, can you check to see if anybody's coming to the scene? It feels like I'm, I'm here for a long time. And he goes, are you at the scene at I-10? And I said, yes, I'm, I'm the only one here. I have the CBE trooper. And long story, long story short, the Calvary ended up coming. A couple of troopers came took over for me. I went and talked to the driver who was pinned. He he was not getting out. I, the only thing I can think of was just to continue to talk to him for a few minutes. Another trooper came and then I ended up working doing the traffic control on I-10 and shutting down a lane. So, and then eventually more troopers came, the fire, fire and rescue came, and then I was sort of pushed off the scene and I got back into my vehicle and started driving back to Jacksonville. I had to pull over, to be honest, about 10 minutes down the road because the adrenaline dump of that scene was just, there are no words. And it just gave me so much of an appreciation for what law enforcement does every single day, that they put themselves in harm's way, whether that be troopers, police officers, or sheriffs, sheriff deputies. And, and that was a traffic scene, let alone other types of law enforcement. And, and for the EMS folks, gave me so much more of an appreciation for what they do every single day. And so a couple months later, I end up getting recognized for that. And I, I didn't, that was not for, that was just an instinctual response and ended up getting Trooper of the Year for rendering life-saving. Nice. And I, I really didn't think through that. I just, I just did. Yeah. All in office attire. In office attire, yes. <laughs> After working a full day and commuting three hours prior to the full day. Yeah. So you mentioned that it felt like an eternity. Do you know how much time actually lapsed between when you get out of the car and when you actually get back into your car? You know, I don't. I, I, I think that was written on the write-up, but I don't actually have that committed to memory. It, it probably was only like 10 minutes and it, it mm -hmm. felt like eons. And Really, one of the performance metrics that the Florida Highway Patrol has is a, a response time. So I, I knew that they were coming. And especially with a commercial motor vehicle rollover and the volume of traffic, the time of day, I knew they were coming. It just, when you're in that scene at the time, it just, it feels like an eternity. But it probably was only a few minutes. Yeah, And there was only two people involved in the crash? It was a single vehicle. And mm -hmm. so it was, a, it was a rollover. I think the there was a slight curvature in the roadway. And so he was going too quickly. And there was a passenger who got ejected. He was not wearing a seatbelt. The driver was wearing a seatbelt, but be, because of the force and the rollover of the vehicle, he could not get out. He ended up succumbing to his, his injuries. And he was also impaired. So 
that was not a good scene for anybody. But the, the good thing was there was no secondary crashes and nobody else got hurt. I'm bad that, that the driver did not end up making it. But yeah, but the the one that was ejected survived? Survived. And that's the one that I was working on. Yes. Wow. Wow. That is impressive because, I mean, you know, not many analysts, as you mentioned, get themselves in that situation and not many people even get a chance to perform CPR on, on somebody. But in this case, man, you it seems like you handled just about every aspect of it between doing the CPR, talking to the, the driver and even directing traffic. It's it's definitely a different perspective to write either right front seat or to have that trooper background or that law enforcement background and concurrently work as an analyst or the leader of the analyst group is definitely a different perspective. And I would on the weekend spend time writing right front seat, writing shotgun with the troopers through Jacksonville, stopping people with narcotics and and registered gang folks. And really, I mean, it was it was definitely a different perspective. I don't necessarily <laughs> That's not for everybody, right? That's definitely an individual decision. So you mentioned that you had to stop 10 miles down the road or so for the adrenaline dump. But even after that, was there a period in time that you that it really dawned on you what you just accomplished? No, no. I, I know I, I remember having a couple of phone calls, probably to my mom and to my dad, explaining the situation. And I felt my teeth chattering as still part of the sort of <laughs> anatomical response to such a scene but no by the time I got back to Jacksonville I didn't you know I had I life goes on so I, I had yeah. child responsibilities and and work the next day wow. I didn't think about it oh geez that is impressive and quite a analyst badge story well then let's move on then because you eventually come to work where you are working now, which is the University of Florida. So what are you doing for the university? So there is a program called Signal 4 Analytics. And at the time I was actually, at, at the time of my employment with Florida Highway Patrol, I was ad nauseum using the Signal 4 Analytics program. And so at the time there were multiple data sources for crash data through the state of Florida. There was APRIS slash LexisNexis. There was Signal 4 Analytics. There was Department of Transportation. And then there was our own internal RMS system. And so oftentimes, while I was at FHP, there would be questions either generated by legislature or the executive director or Congress people or any, any of these people asking for data. And I would oftentimes write sort of white papers to the data discrepancies of all four of these data sources and really started to understand the data schema between all four. Eventually, the University of Florida Signal 4 Analytics became the one um, clearinghouse, if you will. So we we have over 10 years, I think we're at 11 years, 10 to 11 years of crash data throughout the state. And we also have traffic citation data that we get from the Florida courts and comptrollers folks. We get both of those ones nightly and ones daily. And so I'm managing the program manager for the project. We have multiple projects that are funded by the Traf Traffic Records Coordinating Committee, who's subsequently funded by NHTSA for different projects from geolocating crash data to revising. Basically, DOT is going to be using our system. They're currently using a COBOL-based system to analyze their own data. And so we're putting that all into Signal 4 Analytics and having the latest and greatest engineering roadway data, and as well as 
the traffic crash data eventually we'll be building a citation dashboard. And so we have over 5,000 users statewide from engineering folks to government officials, all different levels from local to federal, to consultants, contractors, and to researchers. And so it's a chance to be able to design the user interface, to design the dashboard for citations, to work with the stakeholders from an analyst perspective, to other analysts, essentially. So it's definitely it's definitely sort of a cross between IT and software development and eventually the user interface piece for our 5,000 users statewide. What is your goal personally with this project? Uh, the the Sunifor Analytics is actually a component of the GeoPlan Center and so through the University of Florida. And so there's different data sets that we can start incorporating into the, the platform itself that's either public safety or public health related. And so that's definitely interesting to me to add different data pieces to the project. And we can we have a very strict data governance piece. We have cloud stores through the university. That seems to be the trend with, I recently attended the IACP in Texas, and that seems to be a, a trend of partnering with the, with the universities for as sort of a third party, but not quite private sector. And so there's interest that had, that's, sort of come my way from multiple state agencies with different data sets, if that's not to get into specifics, but as long as it has a public health and public safety nexus, we can start incorporating that into the GeoPlan Center. All right. Fascinating stuff. So I hope all that works out. Um, so looking back throughout your whole career, one of the things you mentioned to me prior to this interview is that most of the advice that you got throughout your career was you have to pick between being a police officer and being an analyst. And that was something that you fought against. So would you just kind of talk about that as uh, just from your perspective, why you thought that way? So I would, you know, people would do <laughs> that was definitely a, a point of sort of, I don't want to say contingency, but people did ask, well, why don't you pick? Do you want to, do you want to just be in law enforcement and go up the chain of command? Or do you want to just be an analyst? And I'm really, I couldn't, I found value in both. And, and I was sort of dubbed by, by my old boss, Jamie, as an in-between. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because actually come to find out that that segue and that, that marriage between law enforcement and data analysis has served me well over the last over 15 years, 16 years to be able to understand the operational piece and then to be able to understand the data piece and how they come together and and the QA QC part and the data integrity part and and I really I just I found value in both and I thought to myself if I can understand what they're doing and and life of a cop and and what their role is and and that sort of on on seeing quick thinking and I have to complete this report and I have you know all of these different stressors occurring at the same time if I can understand that and understand how what information they're putting into the report and then how to filter the report out perhaps that would make me a better analyst and that that's to be determined but <laughs> but what I do know it, it's it's helped me out and it's definitely gained a lot of trust and relationships throughout multiple agencies and multiple people within state government all right and then your PhD, what's your topic? It's going to be in urban planning. It's through where I work, the School of Design, Construction, and Planning with the urban planning piece of it. And it's really looking more upstream of the problems. Once a problem becomes a law enforcement response, that's that's 
a little late in the game. So I'm looking at, I'm at the moment, I'm studying some routine activity theory concepts. So it's not all, I'm still working on the dissertation piece, but it's going to have some tie to traffic crash, DDACs. And so it's not all solidified yet. So I just started it last year. So balancing work and then DDACs and my PhD, I'm, I'm still just trying to balance it all at this point. <laughs> all right. And then what advice do you have for our listeners? I think the biggest piece of advice is that to remember that your integrity as an analyst goes back to your quality of work and stressing sort of QAQCing your own work product. And, you know, as a new analyst, you don't always know, you know, what formula to use in Excel or how to create a chart or what chart's going to be the, the best to tell whatever story you're trying to tell or, you know, how to create hotspots and, and what frequency, what you should use in GIS. You don't always know these things and you don't always know if your data collection or your analysis is, is as sound as it can be. But if you QAQC and you continue to learn and you ask questions and don't be afraid to try, I think that all goes back to character and integrity and relationship building. And once you have that piece of it, then you have the trust with the command staff. And once you lose trust, whether that be work product that isn't sound or some other piece of it, then that's really hard to get back once you're an analyst. So just remembering that integrity is really directly correlated with the quality of work that you produce. Well, let's move on to personal interests then. So you and your daughter are quite the explorers of this world. And do you have a favorite vacation or trip that you have? Well, we like to learn about American history. And so whether that be in Philly, I just recently over the summer took her to see the Liberty Bell when she was 10. And so we were fortunate enough to get some behind the scenes tours by the park rangers. And we really dug into the Founding Fathers and Independence Hall. And so that was followed up by a recent trip to New York. And we got to go to the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island and really learn about the immigration to the United States. So being a second generation American myself, that was important for me to show her that. But just really American history. So whatever we can do, she wanted to go and see Hamilton's house and she wanted to see Columbia University. So we just literally got back a couple of days ago from a trip to New York City. Wow. Man, you make me feel bad. I'm just taking my kids to Universal. So <laughs> that's still fun. That's I'm still kidding. fun. I was amazed at the 10-year-old that wanted to see Hamilton's house and uh, Columbia yeah. University. So I'm just I'm following her lead. Yeah, that's impressive. So do you have a bucket list destination with her? We just fulfilled it, so okay. I guess we'll need to come up with some new things. Very good. All right. Well, our last segment to the show is Words of the World, and this is where you can promote any idea that you wish. Michelle, what are your words to the world? My words are going to be relevancy matters and to never stop learning. And so sometimes we can become complacent and comfortable in the space that we're working. Maybe we we think that we we learned enough or whatever there's always something to learn and there's always new technologies new methods of thinking and so my words are going to be relevancy matters and never stop learning well, very good wiley of ever guess with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later perfect <laughs> but i do appreciate you being on the show michelle thank you so much right. and you be safe bye 
Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.